Chapter 21 of The Radio Planet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. The Radio Planet by Ralph Milne Farnley. Chapter 21 Souls. In reply to Cabot's question, the huge winged Saurian, Bumalaya, king of the Wumangs, wrote the following reply. All that I am about to tell you of the traditional beginning of our race is shrouded in the mists of antiquity. The legend is as follows. Many hundreds of years ago this fertile continent was inhabited by warring beasts of every conceivable size and form, and they were but brute creatures, for they had no souls. Souls existed, it is true, but inasmuch as they inhabited no bodies, they had no learning, experience, or background. They were of but little use to themselves, each other, or the planet. Then one day there was born out of the ground a creature much like yourself. His name was Namlop. He it was who discovered how to introduce souls into bodies by making a slight incision at the base of the brain and inserting there a young soul. First he captured some very tame wild creatures and gave them souls. With their aid he captured others, more fierce and so on, until there was hardly a beast left soulless on this continent. Thus did he make of one race all the creatures of Poros to dwell together on the face of the continent. This industry we have kept up to this day. It is reported, however, that Namlup himself had no soul. There was no scar at the back of his head, and no soul issued from his body after death. Others he gave soul to, himself he could not. This is the general belief. All this was as clear as mud to Miles Cabot. He could not make head nor tail out of it. Bumalaya appeared to be talking in riddles, or allegories. Nevertheless, Miles determined to try and make a beginning somewhere in order to understand what this mass of verbiage was all about. So he wrote, How can you tell? Surely you cannot see souls. Surely we can, the reptile king replied, for souls are creatures just as real as we are, and have an independent existence, from the day they hatch until they are inserted in the brain of somebody. From the way you talk, I cannot believe that you have any soul. Of course I have, Miles remonstrated. Prove it to me, Bumalaya demanded. Let me see the back of your head. Miles complied. No, the winged king continued. You have no soul. There is no scar. This conversation was irritating in the extreme. It led nowhere. Quiffen and Doggo read all the correspondence and were equally perplexed. The huge pterosaur continued writing. I can see that you do not believe me, he wrote. This is not to be wondered at, since you yourself are soulless, though I cannot understand how a beast like you, without a soul, can be as intelligent as you seem to be. Come to our temple, and I will show you souls. So saying, Bumalaya, accompanied by Kwekwamukki, the serpent, led Cabot and his two companions out of the buildings and through the streets of the city to another edifice which they entered. What a travesty on the lost religion of Kupia! Within the temple there moved about a score or more of assorted beasts, pterodactyls, reptiles, huge insects, furry creatures, and so forth, 
bearing absolutely no resemblance to each other except the fact that each and every one of them wore a long robe emblazoned with a crimson triangle and swastika emblem of the true religion of poros among them was one enormous slate-coloured pterosaur almost the exact counterpart of Bumalaya, the king who introduced this beast to his guests by means of the following note this is the chief priest of the true religion she is my mate but come let me show you some souls the chief priest then led the party into an adjoining room the walls of which were lined with tiny cages most of which contained pairs of moths the dragon king explained as follows when a wumyang dies his body is brought to the temple and is watched day and night by a priest net in hand to catch the soul when it emerges what it had to do with souls cabot couldn't see for the life of him neither could quiven nor doggo having made a complete tour of inspection the party then returned to the palace where they discussed the glories of fire kingi and kupia with the king and Kwikomuki, and then dined on cereal cakes and a flesh resembling fish be not afraid to eat this Bumalaya urged it is fresh flesh we breed these water reptiles especially for food after the meal the three travellers were assigned rooms in the palace at cabot's request tapestries were brought from the plain and the party severally retired for the night the next morning they were up early and assembled in cabot's room the night had proved uneventful but doggo wrote in great excitement that he had talked with the green guards who had refused to disclose the whereabouts of the plain and had said that this was the king's order immediately after breakfast which consisted of cakes and sweetened water they requested an audience with the king and when it was granted demanded news of the plain but Bumalaya waved them off with an evasive answer tarry but a day or so he wrote and then your wings shall be returned to you and you shall be permitted to depart i promise it on the word of honour of a king so there was nothing but to wait for it would not do to antagonise this powerful beast and thus perhaps lose for ever the chance to return which he had promised them the day was spent in a personally conducted tour of the city with Bumalaya as a most courteous and attentive guide and host the Wumangs appeared to be a highly cultivated race if you can call them a race a congeries would perhaps be the most accurate term objects of all the arts abounded and the tour would have been most pleasurable if the three travellers had not been so anxious to be on their way once more to Kupia. the night was spent as before uneventfully but the next day doggo was missing in reply to all inquiries the Wumangs returned evasive answers he is gone on business of his own was all they would say this day Muki, the serpent was their host and guide he used every effort to outdo Bumalaya in courtesy but his two guests were strangely uneasy some impending calamity seemed to hang over them late that evening when they were in their quarters doggo rushed in bristling with excitement he had something to tell them and wanted to tell it quickly but had mislaid his pad and stylus strange to relate cabot could not find his own writing materials either quiven finally found her stylus but no pad seizing the lead-tipped stick doggo scratched on the pavement of the room quick give me paper 
Quick! Your lives depend upon it. Quick! Before it is too late. Cabot rushed into the hall and clicked twice with his tongue against the roof of his mouth, but nothing happened. Again and again he repeated the call, until finally one of the little winged messengers flitted into sight. To him the earthman indicated his wants by going through the motions of writing with the index finger of his right hand upon the palm of his left. The little creature flitted away, and after what seemed an interminable wait, returned with pad and stylus. Miles snatched them and rushed back to Doggo. "'What is the matter?' he wrote. But Doggo replied, "'Nothing. It was just a joke to frighten you. We are all perfectly safe here, and Boomalaya has a wonderful plan to facilitate our departure three days from now.' It was not like Doggo, or any other member of the serious-minded race of ant-men, to play a practical joke like this. Mars could swear that his friend had been genuinely agitated a few moments ago. What could have happened in the meantime to change him? The earthman looked at the formian steadily through narrowed lids. His friend appeared to act strangely. Could this in truth be Doggo? If they had been on any other continent, Mars would have sworn that some other ant-man, closely resembling his friend, was attempting an impersonation. But that could not be the case here, for Doggo was certainly the only formian on this continent. It was Doggo's body all right, yet it did not act or look like Doggo. Even Quiven noticed that something was wrong. Nervously she said good night, and Cabot followed shortly after. Instead of retiring he went to Quiven's room, where the two puzzled together for some time, trying to guess what had come over their friend. When at last they parted for the night, the mystery was no nearer solution than before. In fact, they had practically made up their minds that no mystery existed, after all, and that the strange surroundings and strange events and strange talk of souls had merely cast an aura of strangeness even over their friend. The next morning, Doggo was on hand bright and early, but this time it was Quiven who was missing. My turn next, thought Miles, and then perhaps I shall find out what this is all about. As before, the Wu-Mangs were evasive as to the whereabouts of the Golden One, and even Doggo was singularly unresponsive and devoid of ideas on the subject. This day, the she-dragon High Priestess was their guide, but although she outdid both Boomalaya and Kwekwumuki, Cabot fretted and worried, and merely put on an external show of interest. Late that afternoon, the fourth, of their stay among the Wumangs, as soon as the tour was over, Cabot left Doggo and withdrew to his own room. Where was Quiven all this time, he wondered. His question was answered by the golden flame herself, bursting into the room full of excitement. Thank the builder I can talk to you with my mouth, and do not have to wait for pencil and paper, she exclaimed. The Wumangs overlooked our powers of vocal speech when they hid our writing materials as before. It was true, their pads and styluses had miraculously disappeared again. "'Where have you been?' Cabot asked, somewhat testily. "'I suppose that in a few moments you will say that all your excitement had been a mere practical joke on me, the same as Doggo's was.' "'Yes,' she replied seriously. "'I shall, undoubtedly, and therefore listen while there is yet time, while I am still quiven.' "'What do you mean?' Mars exclaimed, staring at her. "'This,' she said, "'in a few moments I shall be Wu-Mang.' 
he started to interrupt but she stopped him with a peremptory gesture and continued know then the secret of all this talk of souls the grubs which they breed from their moths are strong personalities potential devils needing only a highly developed body in order to become devils incarnate namlup whoever he was discovered this ages ago by a simple operation the Wumangs can insert one of these larvae at the base of a creature's brain where in a few hours the personality of the larva overcomes the proper personality of the creature and henceforth rules the creature until the creature dies the larva then flutters free a moth to propagate other devil souls for this nefarious usage yesterday these fiends operated on doggo for a time his own soul and this brain maggot struggled for supremacy while his own personality remained ascendant and yet had imbibed sufficient knowledge to understand the situation he tried to warn us of our danger would that he had been in time but when the pad of paper had arrived dear old doggo was dead his body had become a woomang dominated by one of their moth grubs souls as they call them this afternoon they operated on me miles shuddered but quiven went relentlessly on two personalities are now contending within me for mastery there can be but one outcome quiven must die and her brain and body must become the vehicle for the thoughts and schemes of an alien mind my will is strong at present it is in control but any moment now it may snap so i adjure you by the great builder and your loved ones refuse stonily and absolutely to listen to any denial which my mouth may give you now while there is yet time i must tell you their plans Bumalaya sighs for more worlds to conquer he was captivated by your tales of your country to-morrow he will operate on you then when the bodies of you and doggo and i are all womangs and yet retain a certain amount of our own knowledge and skill he plans to send us on to kupia with a plain load of moths to operate on your countrymen and build up a second empire of womangs there miles gasped at the dastardliness of the plan a plan which might yet succeed for even if he escaped doggo's body might still carry the plan into execution where is our plane he asked yes quiven sadly replied i must lead you to the plane while i am yet me come quickly but can we leave doggo yes she replied not only must you leave doggo but you must leave me too for doggo is no longer doggo and i shall not be quiven in a few minutes from now for i feel the woomang soul struggling for ascendancy within me come quickly she led him out of the room and down several hallways to a courtyard of the palace where stood the plain guarded by a green dragon this beast interposed no objection to their approach quiven smiled wanly he will not stop you she said for already they regard me as one of them and count on me to inveigle you and now miles good-bye i feel myself slipping in a minute or two your quiven will be no more whether my own soul will then go to the happy land as though i had normally died or whether it will simply be blotted out i know not but one thing i do know and that is that i love you with all my heart she flung her arms around his neck and kissed him then suddenly she cried i've won i've made you love me it was all a scheme cooked up by doggo and myself to trap you out of your complacency 
and force you to admit to your love the story of the moth grub's souls is a lie woven out of the weird philosophizing of boomalaya from now on i know that you love me from now on i am confident that i can compete with that lilla of yours he stood aghast could this be so he was half inclined to believe then he remembered her words refuse stonily and absolutely to listen to any denial which my mouth may give you also he reflected that doggo certainly would never have been a party to a trick to betray lilla so he thrust the golden maid to one side and strode toward the plain but she rushed after him and clung to him wailing piteously miles miles surely you aren't going to desert us just because of this trick which we played on you surely you don't intend to leave us to the mercy of these terrible beasts he did not know what to believe there was a possibility that her story about the souls was the truth if so then the safety of the whole continent of kupia was at stake and yet if not what an awful country to leave her and doggo in he vaulted into the plain then stood irresolute at the levers he looked intently at the golden maid who clung to the side of the car there was something strange about her face something clearly unquiven and yet as he gazed he became certain that it was quiven after all and he was right miles she shouted letting go the plane quick by the grace of the builder my own spirit is again in the ascendancy for an instant the story i told you is true flee before it is too late then suddenly she changed again and shouted to the guardian pterosaur quick stop him her expression altered as she spoke but miles slammed on the power and the machine rose quickly leaving behind the frantic golden form of little quiven after him trailed a swarm of winged creatures of all sorts but his fast airship soon outdistanced them as it sped due west towards a sky that had already begun to turn pink with the unseen setting sun on and on he sped until his pursuers dropped from view then he turned northward to throw them off the trail and then after a while due west again until as night was about to fall the steam bank of the boiling sea loomed ahead whereupon he landed he must wait until morning before attempting the passage but as he prepared to spend the night he noticed that all the tapestries were gone from the cockpit how could he brave the steam clouds without wrappings of some sort and was he certain after all that he was not leaving two perfectly good friends in the lurch End of chapter twenty one